Well, we are gathered this morning to turn our attention to Jesus, the Lord and Savior, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and who gives us a perspective uh, for which and through which to walk through this life. And as we prepare to open God's Word this morning, as we prepare to continue uh, our message series uh, from Revelation that we began last week, I want us uh, to pause and I want to read uh, a couple verses from the end of Psalm 74 uh, that read this way. The psalmist said, Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. This is a lament psalm in which the psalmist is crying out to God to carry out His justice in the world, His mercy in the world, crying out for God to to act on behalf of those who have been victims of injustice. And no doubt, uh, if you've paid any attention to the news in recent days, there have been a number of victims of injustice. This world is filled with sin and the effects of sin. I want us to take a moment and specifically to lift up uh, these families and friends of those that have recently lost lives and to pray that God would bring healing, that He would bring comfort, and that He would provide His eternal hope. So let's bow to God in prayer. Father God, we do acknowledge before You this morning that You are the God of all comfort, that You are the God of all hope, Lord, that peace is found in you, that life is found in you, that you are a God who is characterized by both justice and mercy. So, Father, we, we do pray on behalf of those that have experienced injustice, Lord, at the hands of evil. We pray for the families of those that are grieving. Father, we do pray for the family and friends of Philando Castile, in Minnesota, and of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, and the family and friends of Officer Brent Thompson, and Officer Patrick Zamaripa, and Officer Michael Kroll, and Officer Michael Smith, and Lord Officer Lorne Ahrens. Father, we also lift up and continue to remember the family and friends that are grieving after the horrendous event in Orlando just weeks ago, and Lord, we pray that somehow, some way, through all of these tragedies, through these circumstances, that your name would be exalted, that your name would be praised, that the hope that is found in Christ would be felt and known, and that it would expand. Lord, bring in healing, bring in comfort, bring in mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, church, let me invite you to open the scriptures with me. This morning to the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We'll be in Revelation chapter 5 this morning. And we did begin a a short series from this portion of the scriptures last week. And this is a fascinating uh, portion of God's word. And we said last week as we introduced this section that this is a, a book that was from God. It is a revelation from Christ, about Christ, that it was given to a close friend and follower of Jesus, John the disciple, likely written 
around AD 95 and written specifically to seven churches uh, in uh, Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, but churches that I believe represent churches uh, across the world and throughout the centuries and a, a message that uh, I believe is not so much written in order to uh, help us find a detailed, mysterious path about what the future holds, but a message that is rent, written to give us a glimpse of the one who rules and reigns on high, the one who gave his, his life for us, to strengthen us as believers, to encourage us as Christ followers as we walk in this world. So it is a message that is written to encourage Christians to endure, to be faithful and to obey the Lord who reigns on high. So as you find your place to Revelation chapter 5, let me invite you uh, to join me standing for the reading of God's word. We stand out of reverence for the one whose word it is that we are reading. So I'll begin in Revelation chapter 5 verse 1 and read the uh, entire chapter, 14 verses. So if you uh, have a Bible, I would encourage you to follow along. If you don't, certainly listen uh, and, and and attempt to, to get a handle, to get a picture of, of what it is, this vision that John is recording. So Revelation 5, beginning in verse 1, uh, John says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, we do ask you, we invite you to lead us, to guide us, to encourage us to see the truths that you have conveyed here in your word and to guide us as your people to apply them to our lives and to live in light of them for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. 
wow, right? That's not something you read every day. That's not the kind of vision you probably imagine every day. That's not the way that you talk to uh, your husband or your wife or your children or your friends. This is language that we're not so used to using. So if that seemed a bit strange, if that image seemed a bit odd, a bit weird to you, know that you are not alone. In fact, if it didn't seem a bit strange to you, then you are probably in the minority, meaning that you probably have spent so much time in the Scriptures reading things like this from various portions of God's Word that it has become second nature to you, or perhaps you simply have a love for science fiction, and so stuff like this is right up your your alley. But this is a specific type of of writing, a specific type of literature that was written in a day in which uh, this type of language was not unheard of. This is apocalyptic and prophetic literature that is employing uh, strong images and symbols to convey grandiose truths about who God is and what His future holds for His people. And so if I said to you long, long ago and a faraway land, then you would immediately know that I am talking about a story from another day and another time, perhaps a story that's true, perhaps a story that's made up. Well, likewise here, when John's original readers read things like, well, then I looked and I saw this, they know that John is writing in this this type of language and writing to convey certain truths. These images and visions and symbols, I believe, are being used ultimately by God through His servant, written to His churches, and now in the collection of God's Word for His people to get a glimpse of Christ's greatness, of His might, and of His sacrifice, and how who He is ought to impact how we live, how we walk, how we conduct ourselves as His followers in this world. So, Go with me. Imagine with me this scene for just a few moments. So here is John, who is the recipient of this vision that he knows is from God. And this is sort of in the middle of a transition point in the book of Revelation. Chapters 2 and 3 were instructions given to specific churches. And then chapters 4 and 5 are these visions of the throne room of heaven. Chapter 4, God is on the throne and He is being worshipped as the creator of life. And now the the scene shifts slightly in chapter 5 where Jesus, who is the lion and the lamb, is being worshipped as He too is worthy of of praise. And so here is John and he sees this vision of God who is sitting on His throne. And He has a scroll in his, His right hand that has been written on both sides. And scrolls, we don't use scrolls much today, perhaps not any today, but scrolls were fairly common in that day, day before bound books and before the printing press. Scrolls were used uh, to, to write and to record important things, important legal documents especially, things like like wills. And then they were sealed off oftentimes by hot wax down the edge that was imprinted with a personal seal, a signet ring, communicated the recipient or the witness's identity. And they were only to be opened, only to be broken by the right recipient, by those for whom this message was for. And so here John sees this vision of God with this scroll, symbolizing truth from God, revelation from God, perhaps the rest of God's story. 
And so John knows God. He has encountered God. He believes in God. He is a follower of Christ. He's experienced the love of God and he has a, a hunger and thirst after the things from God. And so when, when he sees this and no one to open this scroll, no one to, to reveal the contents of this message from God, no one to reveal this everlasting message from God, he is devastated. The scriptures say that he begins to weep. He begins to cry out. This is a massive letdown for John, who is hungry for God and the things of God. Have you ever been let down in this life? Well, chances are you have. Perhaps you've been let down through a relationship that suddenly ended. Maybe a relationship with a husband or a wife, or a relationship with a parent, or with a child, or with a friend, with a neighbor, with a coworker. That suddenly and unexpectedly ended. Perhaps you're a lover of literature and you love a good novel and or a movie that you are sucked into, and then you approach the end of the story, and the story ends in just a way that you think it should never end. Terrible ending, and you are totally let down. No doubt we have many sports fans here this morning. And if you're a sports fan, perhaps a college football fan, I'm sure we have some here. Perhaps most of you here, you uh, cheer for a certain team. Well, if you have a close allegiance to any sports team, uh, then you have been let down as well because your team has lost suddenly and unexpectedly in the final minute of the game at some point or another. You feel when that field goal is blocked or made or it's an interception, a pick six at the end of the game, then you feel as if you have been punched in the stomach. It's a huge letdown. Well, I think that's similar to what John is feeling here. He's hungry for God and the things of God. He wants to know the truths of God and suddenly they're unavailable. And he may be wondering, what if this is the end of the story? What if there is no more? What if this life is all that there is? What if God's plan of redemption is, is gone? What if there is no more to this story? And then suddenly he is interrupted in verse 5 when an elder. There's this language here in this chapter and others of elders and creatures in heaven. And there are various thoughts about who these creatures are, which I really think is secondary to the point. Perhaps they're representative of Believers throughout the ages. Perhaps they're uh, higher uh, angelic beings. In either case, one of these elders, verse 5, says to John, Do not weep. Stop crying. Hold your tears. Look, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. In other words, hey, there's good news. There is one who can open this. There's one who has and will continue to reveal to us the rest of God's truth, the rest of God's story. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. Two Old Testament images that came associated with the coming Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. You may remember from just a few weeks ago, our time in Genesis. We came near the end of that book, the final chapter, or the second to final chapter, Genesis 49. We saw that Judah... This son of Jacob and brother of Joseph and his descendants were described as 
as a lion. Meaning that they would be powerful, that they would be victorious in battle, that they would generate awe. Came to be associated with the Messiah who would come from the line of Judah. The Messiah would come from the royal line, the line of King David. So here the, this elder says to John, don't be upset. There is one who can open this scroll and reveal its contents. He is the Messiah. He is the lion. He is the king. When we think of lions, we think of kingship. I don't know about you. Maybe this is true for a few of you. My mind went to a scene from the Lion King. What is it? King Mufasa. His voice just intimidating, is it not? Well, here we have this scene. And I think we could draw some parallels uh, here, some unintentional parallels from this movie and uh, our Savior and faith and life in Him. But there's one thing I want to point out. The reason that I showed this this morning is we have this scene here where Young Simba and Nala go into the one area they are not allowed to go. A place that endangers their life. They're vulnerable. They're lions, but they're they're lion cubs. They look innocent and cute and weak. In fact, they're taunted here, calling them kitty, kitty. And the hyenas love to hear this uh, unimpressive roar. But then in the moment of that second roar, just as Simba tries to roar, his father, the, the king of the land, roars and takes over the scene and shocks them, wiping them, in essence, off their feet. Well, here in this text, it's it's the opposite effect, but the shock is the same. Because here is John, who who is being told by an angel in heaven, or a representative in heaven, look, look, here comes the lion. Here is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here is the root of David. Here is the king. Here is the mighty one who has come to our rescue. And so he looks, expecting to see this one, and he sees in verse 6, a lamb. Verse 6, and I saw a lamb, and not just any lamb, a young sheep looking as if it has been slain. The truth from God's word in Revelation chapter 5 is that the lion is the lamb. That Jesus is not only the mighty king who rules and reigns over all, But he is the one who has humbled himself and become like a tender, innocent animal, laying down his life as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. He is the one that the Old Testament Passover lamb pointed forward to as the Israelites spilled the blood of the sacrifice on their doorposts and the angel of God passed over them, sparing them the judgment of God. Likewise, Jesus has spared us from the judgment of God. He has given his life. And this is the central paradox of our faith, is it not? That victory comes through sacrifice. That victory comes through weakness. That forgiveness of sins and eternal life is found through the humble sacrifice of the Lord over all. But he is one who is worthy of praise. He may be humble, and He is, and He may be loving, and He is, and gracious, and compassionate, and patient, and He is all of those things, but He is worthy of praise. And that's exactly what happens here. We see in verse 6 that this Lamb is standing in the center of the throne, expressing His deity. He He is King. It's described as having seven horns that symbolizes power. Seven 
eyes, I think, symbolizing his knowledge. He, he knows all things. And he went to God who was sitting on the throne and he took the scroll. And when he had taken it, verse 8, the creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. They began to sing. They began to worship him for they recognized that he was worthy of their praise. And they said, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. What are many pictures of worship in the book of Revelation, but the scene only expands from there. As first, these 28 creatures are worshiping the lion lamb who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. But then all the angels join in, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. The point being countless number of angels gathering around the throne of heaven and worshiping Jesus Christ, our lion and lamb, saying, verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. But not only do the angels worship him, then John sees every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, recognizing that this one rules and reigns, that he is worthy of praise, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Church, through this vision that we get a glimpse of here in Revelation chapter 5 and other places in God's Word, certainly within the fuller context of God's Word, we are invited to behold the Lamb. Let's behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's look and see the Lamb. Let's observe the Lamb and His ways throughout the story of Scripture, seeing the the one who gave his life for us. Let's observe and see him. Let's worship him for he is worthy of our lives and he is worthy of our praise. And if we believe this book, if we believe the truths of God's word, of the scriptures, then we know that our gatherings here and what a privilege it is to gather with God's people week after week to hear from him and to exalt his name together. But our gatherings here are only rehearsals for what we will be privileged to do and to enjoy for all of eternity around the throne of God in heaven. Let's behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And because we know him and love him and believe in him, let's follow him as well. Let's behold the Lamb and let's follow the Lamb. Let's follow Jesus who is the lion and the lamb for not only is he the sacrifice that takes away our sins, but he is Lord over all. There is none like him. In fact, all of history finds its meaning and purpose and fulfillment in him. So let's worship him. Let's follow him for he is not a king who simply lays a heavy burden and lords over his Creatures, He is a king who invites his creatures to be part of his kingdom, to participate in his kingdom as a kingdom of priests, to serve him and to worship him. So let's do just that as his people. Let's serve him for his glory, for he is Lord. Let's recognize that he reigns and that he calls the shots in our lives. Let's go wherever he sends us and let's imitate 
his character and his love to all those we encounter. Let's behold the lamb and let's follow the lamb. And church, it's no secret that this world is filled with evil. It's filled with injustice. It's filled with racism and immorality and hatred and violence. And the truth is that it will continue to be to some extent until this one, this prince of peace returns and sets all things right. For there is only one solution to sin, and that is the God of the gospel. And he is preparing a people from every tribe and language and people and nation to be his people and to enjoy his presence and to worship him forever. And we as his people must Look forward to that day. We ought to long for that day. For there will be no day like the day that we gather around the throne and worship the lion and the lamb. But in the meantime, let's follow him. Let's behold the lamb. Let's follow the lamb. And finally, friends, let's feast on the lamb. Let's feast on the lamb of God who takes away our sins. Let's feast on him by taking in his sacrifice by taking in the cross of Christ as the event that extends forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration to us from God. Let's feast on the sacrifice of Christ by receiving his gift in faith, by dwelling on his sacrifice for us and by proclaiming his sacrifice and by forever living as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And as we continue to reflect on who He is and what Christ has accomplished for us, I want us to prepare for observing that event, prepare for the Lord's Supper, prepare for communion by confessing sin before God, by repenting and turning to God, by singing the praises of God. So let's bow in prayer, then let's fix our eyes on Christ, the Lamb of God, as we prepare to approach the table. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do acknowledge that there is none like you and that you alone are worthy of our praise, that you alone are worthy of our lives, that you are the God who extends salvation to us by your grace. Father, we thank you this morning for the cross of Christ, for the sacrifice that that you gave, that we would have life, that we could have life and forgiveness of sins in Jesus. So, Father, as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning, we pray that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, that you would fix our gaze on you, that we would remember and proclaim your death until you come again and the life that we have in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. We invite you to be seated where you are and to... Continue to keep your attention and to focus your attention on the cross of Christ, where Christ purchased our souls for us and calls us to repentance and faith in him. Indeed, the opening verses of the book of Revelation say this, John writes, To him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. 
Amen. He is worthy of glory and power forever and ever, for he is the one who has freed us from our sins. And so that's what we remember. That's what we celebrate. That's what we proclaim as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning. And so we invite all those who know that freedom, all those who know Christ to participate and to take the bread, to take the cup today, uh, as Jesus has instructed us as his so let me invite our, our deacons who are serving this morning to come. And as they come, let me encourage you where you are to take a moment and to uh, confess any sin before God, uh, to thank him for the cross. I'll pray and then we'll begin to pass the elements. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your love for us. Father, a love that led you to rescue us from our sins. Father, a, led, a love that led you to, to make us knowing that we would turn against you. Father, a love that led you to desire an intimate relationship with us as, as your children, as your people. So, Father, we pray that we would indeed be reminded today and continually of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God in our place, on our behalf. Father, help us to celebrate that today. Lord, help us not to take it lightly, but to reflect on it in a way that honors you, but to celebrate it in a way that those who have been redeemed should. So, Father, we give you praise and we give you thanks. Lead us now, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, as we eat this bread, let's remember the body of Jesus, our sacrificial lamb that was broken for our sins. And now, church, as we remember the blood of Jesus, our sacrificial land that was spilled for us, and we drink his cup. Church, thank you so much for gathering with us this morning and worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we go, may we continue to exalt and to proclaim his name. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity this morning to be here, to be with your people Lord, in your presence, to open your word, to celebrate you, and Father, to be strengthened and encouraged by you. So, Father, I pray that that continues in all of us gathered here this morning. Lord, may we uh, devote ourselves to you. May we uh, go in your name and share and show your love to a lost and dying world that needs you. Father, we thank you for being with us. Guide us now, and it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.